Hey guys, so this next episode is with 19-year veteran Steve Garvey. He played from 1969 to 1987. He was a 10-time All-Star MVP, four-time Gold Glover. The man could flat out hit, and we had an incredible conversation with him. Touched on a lot of different topics. Um, So enjoy the podcast, and thank you guys for listening. Here it is. Baseball lifestyle. It's my lifestyle. (laughs) Welcome, welcome to the Grounds Crew. A podcast covering all things baseball. We're brought to you by Baseball Lifestyle. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back for another episode of The Grounds Crew. We are live at the Players' House at the 2021 All-Star Game in Denver, Colorado. And we are joined today by an MLB legend, Steve Garvey. Thank you so much for being here. It is an honor to be in your presence and have you on our show. Um, thank you it's so like much. like being with my sons today. <laughs> I, I'm glad you're so nice. daughters, by the way, thank you for having me. Give me a chance to talk. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think when we were talking about when, when we were finding out that we were going to have the chance to talk with you, uh, th- there's a current generation of young kids who don't know who you are. But uh, one thing that we all know is that the, you should be a Hall of Famer. And uh, the fact that you haven't yet is one of those conversations that needs to be brought up by people like us so hopefully there's pressure and there's that thing because you had an amazing career and you had 30 home run seasons when guys weren't hitting 30 home runs and you were an excellent excellent player so getting your take and getting your insight is going to be absolutely incredible uh, and i am super excited for it well thank you very much for saying that i uh, i ironically have been on every ballot that i've been eligible to be on um it's probably 20-something now, and the formats have changed after the first 15, uh, and it's been very interesting. And I know there are times when I've gone on Mike and Mike, and I've gone, you know, Mad Dog shows all through the years, and then all of a sudden the guys go, wait a minute, let's pull up some stats. How about, how about this situation, that situation? And I, and I say, I don't have 500 home runs, I don't have 3,000 hits, but I've got a body of work that I think is, is I'm honored to have, have done it. And I think if you look at it, it becomes impressive when you start adding consecutive game streaks and, and uh, you know, longest streak without an error at one time and gold gloves and the number of, you know, all-star games, won all those. All-star uh, game MVPs. Yeah, yeah, MVPs, playoff MVPs and uh, regular season. So, um, you know, sometimes you have to look at the body of work and you have to look at, and I was just talking in another interview, uh, what seems to lose importance is winning, and um, and the essence of every every sport and every game is is winning and contribution to winning. And uh, if you start being so isolated in individual performances uh, and not in context to their contribution to the team's success, then I think there's an elephant that now is it 10 percent? Is it 25 percent? Is it 30 percent? It's all subjective to the to the individual. But it's important. And, and I think that we, and we've talked about it many times. You have players who put up great stats when the games are meaningless. And those players don't have the same pressure to perform. So a player who's two players who were compared for a long time were uh, Mookie Betts and Mike Trout. Mm-hmm. And they both played a similar position. They both had amazing seasons in their career. Mookie's games have mattered more okay. than Mike Trout's. Uh, and you could say, well, Trout's team wasn't there, everything else. That's fine, but a player like Mookie is going to make a game-winning play that might hurt his statistics because it means the difference between moving on and not. Mm-hmm. 
And when you look at that body of work, the fact that you won and you had great stats is further, you know, a testament to how you were playing. You know, if you were on a team where nothing mattered, you'd do even better. Because, hey, you know what? I'm just going to hit this over here because my stats will go up. But it's like, no, I need to do this because we're winning games. And when you put that in context, you play to win the game, that inherently always is going to make the stats go, go down. Well, look at it the other way, too. You're out of it in July, early August. How do you push yourself? Yeah. Right? And if you're one great player, you got to remember in baseball, they don't have to let you play with the ball. Yep. Yep. They can pitch around you. Yep. I've always said m most of my streaks, streaks were predicated on who was hitting behind me and how well. It could have been Say, it could have been, could have been Baker, it could have been Smith. Uh, if I'm not protected, they didn't pitch to me. And by the way, I didn't walk a lot. I love to hit the ball, That's so awesome. That's it. <laughs> I I do I maybe took two fastballs down the middle, which is one of the things that that I don't get irritated. But it, it, it's funny now to see guys take fastballs right down the middle, and or remember this whole thing going deep into the count. Mm -hmm. Well, the deeper you go into the count, ironically, more the pitcher's advantage starts to creep up. So I would always or I would think situation. Uh, nobody on, probably get a first ball fastball. The guy in front of me just hit a home run on a fastball. I'm going to get a breaking ball. He hit a breaking ball. I'm going to get a fastball. If I look up at, at home plate look and see the right fielder or the center fielder shifting to right and everybody moving over, where's he going to pitch me? They're going to pitch me outside. Yeah. Yeah. If I see a shortstop, if I look at the pitcher and he's getting the signs, he gets the sign, I see the shortstop move. Yeah. To his right, I'm getting a pitch inside. Yeah. But it's about thinking the game. I've always said the great players not only had physical skills and God-given skills, they thought the game. And it's you know, sports is a, a constant adjustment. Yeah. You'll see a lot. Kid will come up from the minors. He'll hit 422 for two weeks. And then next three weeks, the advanced scouts have now fed information, and now he's batting. 211 or 198 you know by the, the time six weeks is up yeah it's that constant adjustment yeah and understanding and I tell I tell the young players it's going to take you five years to really understand this level of play mm -hmm. and they'll look at me and you know they may have had a couple of good years <coughs> yeah what's Garve talking about he's getting old <laughs> doing great right then then you get come across injury yeah and they, they're suddenly pitching you the right way you're not adjusting. All of a sudden, you're having an off year. I mean, Ballinger's a great example of that. He had this phenomenal year, and then what happened? They started pitching that fastball up and not down. And his swing is, is cocked, and he would come underneath it. Then you get frustrated. Then you start going after balls that you normally wouldn't go. And now you, your mind starts to take over your body. And that's, that's the problem with this game. I mean, nothing worse than a slump. Yeah. All wives are on suicide watch with a slump because <laughs> yeah. that's, the, that's the one way they can cancel your contract is by going committing suicide. So. Yeah, you definitely need a, a very high level of discipline, especially at this level, obviously, yeah. to work through those kinds of things. And, and I love what you're saying, just the, the the cerebral things that you were you were thinking about as a player. I know players now, obviously, are very you know they have the the different stats and all the you know spin rate. And there's lots of different things that are available to them that are yeah. different from what you had. Um, so I know they think about those things. And obviously, you were talking about Bellinger and hitting his swing path and kind of how a, a lot of players in this game now are want to hit more home runs and they're adjusting their approaches to try and make that happen 
So it's very interesting to hear what kind of how your thought process was as now a he'll he'll come back. I mean, he, he got yeah. hurt. Yeah. Right. And he's going to run into some pitches in key situations, and sure. and uh, he's going to win ball games. But he's got to now he's got it. He was very tall and feet together here, and then he would cock and come out of here. Then he spread out a little bit and put the bat flat, mm -hmm. right? Back, but it hangs down, so his first move is here. Now he's got to hold it here and just come back and get on the plane. Yeah. And he'll do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he's but he's got it. He's got to do it. You can tell him and uh, get a home run recently on a, on a real good pitcher's pitch. Mm -hmm. So that's psychologically, yeah, that's did. when you yeah. know when things are yeah. working. And he realizes, especially in a season like this in 2021, he's been injured. He's not going to put big numbers. <clears throat> Don't worry about numbers. Just be concerned about doing what you need to do yeah. to help the team win. And, and sometimes it may be pushing the ball to the left side when that shifts on. And that goes exactly to what we were just saying. You know, it's it's especially hard to get out of a slump when your team is playing winning baseball and you can't just go and say, hey, I'm going to work on my own thing. It's like, hey, you come up situationally in a situation that this might not help you you break your slump, but it's going to help the team win the game. And Absolutely. now that might prolong it, that might extend it, and it might go there. So looking at today's game, who who do you – what player do you look at and go, they they have everything? You would look at them and they you say all-time great swing, great player. Well, you know, I mean, a Trout comes to mind obviously now, but um, and and Mookie's in the mix, and and I would say they're probably twelve to fifteen guys who who combine the ability to think and execute, make adjustments. Uh, but see, nowadays there isn't isn't a demand to be a three hundred hitter to be recognized. Yes, mm -hmm. two fifty's fine. Yep, yep. Right. Look at all the guys now that the All Star break. That have ten plus home runs. Are they all going to have? They're all. Gonna, a lot of them are going to have twenty plus home runs, 30, 40 maybe. But you know, getting back to going the other way, moving the runner over, dropping down a bunt, goes against the launch angle, mm -hmm. right? But stop striking out one hundred and thirty times and thinking it's okay. Corey Seager, who I think is an excellent hitter, one of the best hitters in the game, when, when he's up there. <clears throat> A couple of years ago, he was starting to pull the ball all the time. Ended up on one knee with these big swings. So, um, and by the way, closest to Ted Williams I've ever seen as a hitter. Okay. As a okay. That's big praise right there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ted was a dead pole hitter, but Corey can actually go the other way with that outside pitch. Mm -hmm. um, he's sitting on the bench. He's kind of down. He's struggling. I was after. It was after batting practice. He still had some. You know, he's just sitting there. I came up to him, talking to him, and I said, come on. He said, where are we going? I said, we're going to walk out to left field. And he looked at me and said, I'm going to introduce you to left field. You've forgotten <laughs> where left field is. And he started to laugh, but I, I said, okay, we won't walk out there. But you start to take that outside pitch and go the other way. And that inside pitch, if you're thinking outside half, which I did in my whole career, eight of my ten biggest hits were to center and right field. If you're looking that way, as good of high-end coordination you have, and a hitter, you, you'll just instinctively bring those hands in on the inside pitch. You'll get the head on the ball. You'll still do damage pulling the ball. But now you will have sprayed the ball all around the field. Mm -hmm. Average goes up. Strikeouts go down. Victories go up. Yeah. So is Seager the guy that you look at and, and you appreciate the most right now? 
Well, I, I, I think on and the that Dodgers. That doesn't mean you yeah. think he's the best. Yeah. But that's the guy that. When he's playing and what he did last <clears throat> year, the last six weeks of the year, and then the playoffs, pretty exceptional. Yeah. I mean, he could easily could have won three MVPs. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. know, the way he was playing. Yeah. Good, solid shortstop. Um, look at Tatis. Look what he's doing after yeah. a couple of years, right? Haven't watched Acuna that much, but uh, he seems to be very talented. Yeah. But there's, there's class and then the style. I mean, the class of a hitter is his ability to hit the ball, or style is style. The class is uh, how he handles it. Does he run hard to first base? Does he does he give me a hundred and hundred real hard feet past the bag? Uh, does every ball he hit? Does he a single? What's normal is a single. Does he think double? Does he take the extra base hit? Right? Mm-hmm. Does he do drop the bunt down to break up a, a no hitter? Heck with the book. You know everybody says, oh, he's book. You can't do that. You can't bunt with the bases loaded. Mm-hmm. I broke up three no hitters, one perfect game by bunting. And two of those games we ended up winning. Mm-hmm. So that's you going against the unwritten rules, right? And, like, what's your take? We've talked it on this show a couple of times that the unwritten rules are different for everybody also, right? You have things that you're like, hey, I'm going to break up this no-hitter with a bunt because I don't want to be no-hit. And some people would be like, oh, you can't do that. you got to swing. you got to hack. you got to go after him. This is mano a mano. Are we playing to win? Am I playing to do my job? Or am I playing just because there's a moment that could be cool. And, and it sounds like you're more with me with that. Mm-hmm. There's one simple fact. The burden is always on the defense. It's the pitcher on the mound. It's the fielder in the field. It's <clears> executing. <throat> and I, and I, I've always said, you know, offense wins games, defense wins championships. Sure and is. every year the Rawlings Gold Globe Dinner is at the Plaza in New York. And uh, Mike Thompson, the head of baseball, is a phenomenal guy, and they asked me to be a presenter. They usually present the first award, and the last couple of years it's been the Platinum glove, uh, Gold Glove for women's softball, which guy with five daughters, I'm honored. Mm-hmm. But I always say that. I think A.J. Andrews is out there right now. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. It, but defense really wins championships when it's all said and done. Because look at, look at uh, the Dodgers in uh, 218 and 219. Uh, they kept trying to hit three-run home runs. They didn't make adjustments. They didn't manufacture runs. They got beat. Yeah. And the two teams that beat them were Houston and Boston, who – and by the way, Sabermetrics was so involved with the lineups of the Dodgers um, that it took away from building a seven-man cohesiveness that both Houston and Boston – that's okay. I mean, the, the teams had a phenomenal run, and that was their philosophy until last year when, if you watched them, they started manufacturing runs. Yep. And taking walks mm-hmm. yeah. and, and doing these kind of things. Yeah. So. And that's what I think that, that the analytics are great. And the Yankees show it every year now. The Yankees have been a great regular season team and a terrible postseason team. And I think that analytics are great. And baseball's numbers, they always say, hey, 162, the, the averages play themselves out. Mm-hmm. And analytics always work when you look at a large body. So go with the bet, go with the thing. But in a singular moment, you can't go by the analytics. Because there's always an outlier, there's always things that exist. And I have to start throwing some things away the closer I get to the ultimate thing because now more human factor comes into it anyway. Mm-hmm. So at some point in time, you have to use your feel for the game. You have to look at it and say, hey guys, like what got us here might not be the thing that wins. We have to be ready to do anything to win. And I, I feel like that's one of the things that has been out of the game now that everybody's like strikeout or home run, okay. is nobody knows how to win a game some other way. 
and the Mets had some injuries in the early part of the year. They had they, they traded for Cameron made it maybe they they traded a dollar for him, mm-hmm. and that's what the trade was. That's insulting. And then, mm-hmm. but yes, then he is. was. I'll take a Bitcoin. <laughs> yes, there you go. It's much more expensive. <laughs> right. But then he was batting third for them that night. So that's but now they're laying down bunts. I saw a sacrifice, uh, a, a suicide squeeze the other night, mm-hmm. and laying it down, and guys, nobody's doing it. But then when you see it happen, it works. And it's like you have to be ready to do anything to win a game when it gets to those precious moments where there's only a couple outs left, and there's the, you're you're now you can't just look at the 162. The playoffs become different, mm-hmm. and the Rays a couple of years ago where they pulled the pitcher. Yeah. yeah. Use the feel, man. Like that's the prime example. Don't I, let me give you two stats. Um, because I was able to hit the ball around, and and I, I, I turned into a very good bunter. I could hit and run. Lasorda would always hit and run with me. Um, and I thought bunting was was going to be one of my most important weapons because once I started bunting, uh, I, I started getting 11, 12 bun hits a year, right? What that does is now that brings the third baseman in, and I would get another dozen hits because he was playing closer and I would get the ball by him. So I'm getting 25 hits just by being able to bunt. Throw another six, seven hit and runs in. Uh, so now, if you have 500 bats, look what happens to your average. Yeah. Now I'm a 300 hitter because I do all these little things, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and it helps the team, right? Yeah. Gets runners over, yeah. gets them in, breaks up no hitters. You know, it, all these things are make you a smart hitter and make you a complete hitter. And if you know, and I would average 50s in strikeouts. Once in a while, I'll get 60s. But back to we talked about Corey. I said to him, you're striking 130 times. If you put 60 of those at bats, put the ball in play. That's another. I guarantee you another 20 points for you. Know another 40 points on your average. He yeah. Looked at yeah. Me, and then he started to think. And I'm not taking credit for it, but I'm saying planted the seed in the concept of getting back to what your God has given the ability to do. Mm-hmm. And then he took off and from there. So it's amazing. And you said outlier. Maybe that's my career. Maybe I maybe my career is an outlier. Uh, Bill James always said he in, in voting for the Hall of Fame, I was very, very difficult for him to come to a conclusion one way or the other. He said, you didn't have the big numbers, but you did all the things that you were expected to to do when you got to the point of your career, your freewheeling zone. And he said, that's essentially what a Hall of Famer you know, does. Yeah. And, and, and I don't, and I can't remember the number exactly. 14 All-Stars? 10. 10 All-Stars. 10 All-Stars, okay. one All-10. Five NLCSs we're in, one All-Five. Dodger and Padres. And that's, and that's to me like, it, it's the challenge. So there's other players, and again, we recently even Jacob Degrom. There was a question even coming into this year, like you know he might not be a Hall of Fame player, and he he's he's won a bunch of Cy Young. Should have probably gotten another one. Now that we're seeing that you know some other substances were helping guys and things were going on, but do you think that just the length of a career? is over like amplified in those numbers because some guys accumulate because they have the luck of playing you know 22 years and it's like oh well, of course his numbers look better he, he was there Man. do you think that the value of each individual season should mean more depending and weight more 
based off of winning, based off of how it compared. You know, because you won a lot, and, and you were an all-star a lot. And, yeah, you can look at every other number, but sometimes I feel like the Hall of Fame is confused by what they're supposed to do. And it's get great people in. The numbers, guy plays eight years, and he's, if he's the best player in the league for eight years. And a tragic incident happens, he can't play anymore. Well, no, he didn't. He, he doesn't have the numbers comparable. But every year he played, he was better than everybody else. Who says? Let me give you one name, Sandy Koufax. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sandy Koufax played 10 years. Yep. Right. Signed in 55. At that time, if you got so much money, I don't know whether it was 2,000 or 5,000, you had to be on the major league roster for two years. Had, had to dress out with, with the boys, boys of summer, mm-hmm. right? So he'd strike out 14, walk six. He would hit four guys, you know. Until 59, he really didn't make it. So from 59 to 65, right, maybe 66, arguably he and Gibson best two pitchers in baseball. Yep. Right? Well, what about DeGrom? How long does he have to be good to slot in that, that Kofax, you know, window? Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, he's there. I would agree. You're, yes. you're only – can't think of a, a column to write that day or – or you need a segment to fill to throw that out there and get people to call in. And, you know, you, well, you guys know, there's always going to be opinions and so forth. Always. But uh, but what he's done, I've watched him. Didn't have a chance to watch him too much because on the West Coast, you know, we, we don't see him very often. But I've watched him recently three or four times, and, and he's pretty special. Who, who's another person that you think is, you know, similar to you, similar situation? You look at them and you're like, this person, Hall of Fame quality player, but they're not a Hall of Famer yet. Uh, that's tough. Um, uh, and again, like I said, 12, 15 guys can go out on the field and I admire what they're doing because they're throwback kind of guys. You know. One other thing, though, as I'm thinking, um, and I saw this stat last night, um, the Colorado Rockies are second or third in infield hits in baseball. And I watched them drop down a couple of bunts against the Padres, and there's. St- you think of oh, you play, you play in Denver, you gotta be swinging for the fences. Yeah, it hasn't worked. Yeah, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work. Yeah, you know, I, I said to the to the owner one time, I'd go get five Randy Jones, and have him come out here and throw 55 to 60 miles an hour sinkers all the time, take my chances. Yeah, right. You just keep signing guys that, that throw 95, 96, and that ricochet, it goes 450, 470. Yeah. Yep. Right? So now they're, they're realizing they're not going to make it again this year, so let's start doing things like we've talked about, manufacturing runs, mm-hmm. doing, doing small ball every now and then. Right. Yeah. And you know what? People like it. Because mm-hmm. who buys the tickets? Fans. Right. Yeah. Fans who are basically mature adults who remember growing up, who remember – the Garveys in the 70s and 80s and the Dodgers and the Padres would end. Gossage and Nettles came to San Diego and the three of us were kind of a trilogy of, trilogy of experience and uh, we go to the World Series. Right? But it's uh, people, home run derby. Last year, 400 home runs in, in one night. It's going to be a lot again in, in 21. Oh, yeah. Right? It gets boring after a while. Yeah. It just gets boring. So, listen, I'm a huge fan of the home run. Yeah. And the the guy who I would love to hear your opinion on, who's currently leading the league in home runs, has also been a, a fantastic pitcher, and it's Shohei Otani. What, what's your take on, you. on Shohei? I was drawing a blank on all these guys. <laughs> well, 
Um, there were guys back in the 20s and 30s that did that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you keep mentioning Babe Ruth. Yep. It's a little different. Now. Right. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> they only used three balls a game back then, and maybe maybe two pitchers, probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I started watching when it first came up, and he was gonna. It was gonna be two, three years to make adjustments. You yeah. have to, right? Yep. Japanese baseball is is you know core baseball. Yep. Um, and it, it his size, and he's got a great body, and his swing, even though it seems long, is is so from fast. A to B. His bat speed's right? insane. Yeah. Uh, hits the ball around. Yep. Uh, his pitching, his pitching is tough. I mean, he's, he's got a great arm, but the ability to do this every day, uh, the manager's got to be very, very smart. And when he rests him, and he's had some arm problems, yep. um, and eventually he's probably going to be a position player, maybe a spot guy, you know, in relief every now and then. But uh, but this 2021 All Star game with him. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun, exciting. Yes. Yeah, even if we don't get multiple seasons like this from Otani, having this one has just, I think for a lot of people, you they, they fantasize about Babe Ruth and like what he did and imagine it. Well, he was, his his 60 home run season, he wasn't a pitcher any longer. Mm-hmm. And the last time he was a pitcher and a hitter, I think it was something he hit 28 home runs and was a solid pitcher, but nothing special. Mm-hmm. Um he had World Series records. That was the interesting thing. Right. Yep. Right. Um, when you look at Otani now, it's he's already got 32 home runs. Or 33? 33. 33, 33 yeah. now, right? Um, since we got here, he mm-hmm. hit another. Uh, and he's throwing 100 miles an hour. It's just very – a lot of young kids, I think, are looking at this, and they're like, that's amazing, and they do it. And kid, you see the best kid growing up. He hits, he pitches, they do everything. Absolutely right. So those kids are looking at that, and they're – I think it opens up that anything's possible, yeah. and and you know we heard some great talks this weekend from from players about you know the game of baseball doesn't need to change. It's always been this way for all these years. What needs to change is the fact that we have these amazing opportunities to showcase the stories and the things that are happening. And Choha is coming out throwing three pitches and just throwing it and hitting the ball, and he looks like he's having fun and he's enjoying it. And that's making people love baseball again. It's good for good for the game, good for kids. Uh, when I've got five daughters and two sons, and both sons have played. Ryan was with the Rocky organization, but at a young age, you got to be very careful because because the the coaches really emphasize the pitching. Because you get a kid that's advanced, he's going to yep. win games. He, he's going to have him spinning the ball. He's going to have Tommy John surgery by the time he's 14. Oh, I, I agree. seven or eight times more Tommy John surgeries of kids under 15 now than ever. Yep. Uh, then as you get older, obviously now, yeah, we want him to pitch, but really he's going to be a position guy after a while. Yeah. And, and that's, that's an interesting point about kids and the youth and growing up. I think that uh, – you know, so much money has entered the the amateur ranks and kids growing up and travel ball and showcases and all these things that <clears throat> kids are over professionalized at a young age, so it doesn't allow them to really and over entitled and, and over entitled yeah. for sure. Well, when the parents are putting them in a situation where they're treating them like mini professionals, mm-hmm. how do mini how do professional athletes? You know, what's the perception of how they act? Mm-hmm. Walk around, I get whatever I want. I walk in. Well, yeah, then a kid is going to act like that because parents are treating their kid like, hey, my kid might be a celebrity baseball player one day. 
you're already in the wrong frame with your kid. And I, I think that it, it, that's a, we could have an entire podcast on just that one thing. Yeah, um, for sure. But I, I well, hear raising you children say in America. Is, we have my seven and seven grandkids. And, mm-hmm. But in the context of what we're talking about, to have finally have two sons was a blessing. It's so much estrogen in the house. <laughs> just a little testosterone. Yeah. So we had Ryan and Sean. And uh, my, my whole emphasis was to, to get them to realize that their father had been very blessed and had, had a wonderful career. But from that first day I was a bat boy in spring training in 1956 with Brooklyn Dodgers, I fell in love with a game that, that really was predicated on honoring the game, respecting it, playing for the fans. And, uh, and, and they knew that they had to play the game a certain way, they had to respect everybody when good, we went to Dodger Stadium, they were Garvey boys could run all around. Uh, they're a Garvey family, and this is this is how we respect people. Yeah, and they've done very well at it. I'm very proud of them as as men. Sean, my 22 year old, just graduated from Michigan State, which is the last of the litter. The Spartan legacy uh, carries on finally. Um, but you know, our greatest greatest challenge in life is is being parents, or or, or parenting, or mentoring. Mm-hmm. And and uh, nowadays, there's such a disregard for. Uh, for character and respect for people, that we've got to get back to that. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you played a game that provides the opportunity to build character, build relationships, learn how to treat people. Sure. Um, and and I, I know personally, like playing college baseball, get, really got me into that that atmosphere of you know building a work ethic, learning how to really you know, gel with a new group of people and That's get right. to know and, and just kind of have new conversations and it, it's just a great experience and I know like just talking about like the amateur side of baseball anytime people ask me like what was that experience like I always tell them like do the best you can to try and at least get to that level because it will it will change like who you are as a person um, and, and, I, and I applaud you for and you're saying that your your children can you know and, and grew up and became wonderful people and that's it's awesome well sportsmanship yeah. is maybe the most important thing in sports yeah res- res- respecting um, the opposition respecting your everything's vertically integrated you know your 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 coach your manager your owner whatever it may be as you go higher mm-hmm. um, respecting the sport that you're playing you know, don't take things for granted yeah and like I always said, we're in the memory business. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a traveling team, whether it's Little League, whether it's whatever it may be, these are the memories that build who we are individually and our families and, and so forth. And, and do if you do it the right way, it's so much richer. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. doing it the wrong way. And then, because we all, we all have regrets, we all have a conscience. Sometimes it takes a vacation, you know. <laughs> Because <laughs> we're all human, yeah. but uh, but we have to respect each other and, and the games we play. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I think that there's a way to, you know, have fun with the game and allow kids to see that the game is fun and exciting, and not completely morph into one-upsmanship. I, I see a lot of things like I like guys being able to celebrate with passion on the field because I think if you're passionate and that's who you are, allow yourself to be yourself. Um, but there's kids who out there's videos out there of you know a, a 13 year old striking out and yelling at an umpire and it's like that's not passion mm-hmm. that's the entitlement and it's those difference between knowing the difference of passion and excitement and playing a game with that and 
you disrespecting the other person to one-up them and to put on a show. And you know where that voice came from? It came from a parent who yelled at a, at a coach, his manager, or at an umpire, and they heard it, and <clears throat> think it's okay. Right? My parents can do it, I can do it. One of my grandkids uh, came out with a four-letter word the other day. <laughs> Whoa! <We're> shocked, right? <laughs> oh, what did you say? <laughs> and and I looked at uh, my daughter and, and son-in-law, and they went, "It's our fault. It's, it's us." <laughs> I said, "Okay, but it's got to be. He's got to be punished." Now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And Gotta something learn. has to be taken away. Something can't be given for a period of time. Yeah. You got to realize that. Instead of letting it go, I mean, we're, we're yeah, to suppress a laugh, yeah. it was so funny because, you know, kids are so spontaneous. Mm-hmm. But then they've got to realize that, no, you shocked us, number one. Number two is now you're going to have to be responsible for yeah. what you do and what you say. So, yeah. so sp- speaking about today's game, there's been a lot of proposals, things to change, things to go. In the next five years, what is something that – you would like to see happen in the game? What's something that you would like to see uh, a, a, a change or a go back to? What's, what's something that you hope that, that happens? Because, you know, one thing is they were talking about was getting rid of the shift or, you know, making certain shifts. Like, you're, you're not allowed to do it. Is that something you're for or against? Like, what's something you hope the game, you know, institutes or returns back to? Well, because it, it, it's a new millennium and because economics have changed so much. And the business has changed. It's going to be very, very difficult to uh, to say, okay, let's go back to the 50s. Right? Yeah. You're just not going to do that. But let's not change the game so it it starts to not look like the game that we love. Yeah. That it's rushed. Yeah. Because yeah. supposedly we're not reaching uh, a young audience that doesn't have the time to sit and watch. It's not going to happen. Yeah. You're just not going to rush. It's not going to affect the kids because they're doing this. They're playing games. They're running all over the place. You're appealing to the mature audience that grew up with baseball a certain way. They're going to watch cable television. They're going to listen on the radio. You've got to engage the kids when they do see the game. Hey, that is fun. That's they're having a good time out there. Maybe I will play mm-hmm. and get our get our our parents to even if the first time didn't didn't go well. Give them some time. Give them some space. Ask them again if they'd like to do it. You do you th- do you think that? And I, I agree. Like right now, economically, it makes the most sense to just continue to go after the mature audience. Mm-hmm. the The challenge is is that young kids, and I get not wanting to bend so much that we move apart from it. But are there some aspects of the game that would be beneficial by making some changes? Because like you look at the NBA, there wasn't always a three point line. And the three-point line has changed things about the game. Some people would say it's corrupted aspects of the game. It's changed it, but it's just created a new way of it of it happening, right? The forward pass in, in football, like for years it was running, and then there was additional things that have added to it. Do you think that the game of baseball requires some shifting to allow a younger audience to enjoy it? If, and if so, what would that be from your perspective? If not corrupting the, the core competency of what makes baseball, what do you think would really help those kids find that love at a younger age? The, the, the Mantles and the Musuals and the K-Lines played the game a certain way. Yep. And we grew up watching them. We had the game of the week, one game. 
Now every game's on TV all the time. Yeah. And our group came along, played the game very similarly. But the business started to change. When, when, when any business, the economics change drastically, what happens? People find a way to cheat. Yep. So it was amphetamines in the mid-70s, then it became steroids. Yep. Right? And now it's stick them. Then the next group. <laughs> By the way, this whole thing about doctoring the ball, this is a revelation. No, no, it not is to, not. It not is to not this podcast. All of a sudden, Spit you're going to come up. Spitballs were a thing. Guys used so to put the entire I time. I had on my face when some guys were pitching. You know, oh, after I get, yeah. This is like, wait a second. We're trying to divert something that's going on here by saying all this other stuff. Oh, they're they're doing this or doing that, and then a pitcher says, "I'm only using sunscreen." Really, sunscreen mixed with with rosin or just with sweat. That ball's going to come off. Spitballs, you know, took the spin off, and that's going to be a heavy, heavy sinker. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. And then they're going is, out is and getting something. Is there a big sale on small nail files that you can put in, in your glove? They just need <laughs> nail files, right? Uh, pine tar, traditional, absolutely. Yeah. Right? yeah. And by the way, when they're talking about spin ratios and using sticky stuff, they're not making it spin that much faster, by the way. They're taking spin off depending on how much you use. So... They're all different ways. And by the way, the pitcher doesn't necessarily have to be the one that's supplying whatever to the ball. I mean, the ball gets in the dirt, catcher picks it up, he just kind of nonchalantly scrapes oh. it on the back of his, yeah. uh, his shin guard, Full puts a paper. cut in it, yeah. pitcher gets the ball, he's probably only going to get one pitch with it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he's going to make that ball cut yeah. from where the other. He's going to he's gonna get the out with it. And so I, guys I, have been doing this all through the years. I've got to say one thing. I heard an interview get it. maybe yeah. yesterday. And uh, a Mets player. Yep. Power hitter. It's talking about, you know, I don't think it matters that much that pitchers get to put substances on the ball. This is Pete. I know that. Um, yes. I got batting gloves. I put pine tar on my batting gloves to get a good grip and you know, hold the bat and so forth. I'm thinking, really? You think that using pine tar and a couple of batting gloves? are going to make as much difference as somebody that's using substances on the ball? And and everyone was and a I, little bit amazed We said the that. same thing about yeah. Pete. Pete, I, I, don't know, he, I don't know who he was defending in that situation, but the reality is, to me, the spider tax specifically, guys using other things, like Pedro Martinez did a great interview, uh, uh, and he was talking about how if he just got sweat and the rosin, you had to burn it. And if you moved it between, it became tacky. And you could actually hear on his mic how sticky his fingers got just from the rosin. And he's like, this is all I ever used. He's like, so all these other guys who are using stuff, you're cheating. Now, there might be an unwritten rule, but then they got the spider tack stuff where, where like you could hold it on one finger. You're just able to make a ball that you grew up hitting. And you saw a ball come off a guy's hand. You you're knew. You're in a wiffle ball now. Deep in your head yeah, what it was exactly. going to do. You knew how it was going to break because you'd seen it millions. Of t- now all of a sudden this guy's got something on his finger and he does the same thing. And you swing and that ball disappears six inches further away than you thought. It it changed the entire game for these guys. Mm-hmm. And Garrett Cole had a great start and I, he fought to stay in the other night yeah. mm-hmm. because he wanted to make a statement. This is my best start of the year. You guys know I'm not using anything. Yeah. I need to show I'm still great. Um, he's fallen off and... He's much more inconsistent because he doesn't have the control. And, and, and having those substances, do you think that maybe that's like 
Is that one of those things that will help the game? Do you think that this is a, a positive thing to get more of this out, or do you think that we're all being distracted? Well, and, and, and by the way, I like Pete. I think he's got great potential. I love and, He's yeah, a right. good dude. Yes. I, I'm, I'm just saying that I'm listening to him, and I'm thinking, pitcher knows speed, angle, location, right? He's throwing 95. you got four-tenths of a second to determine those things. Okay. And if it's a, if it's a straight pitch, you got four seconds to get the round bat on the round ball and hit it squarely. you got less than an inch to hit it squarely. Now, if you've got a pitcher that's able to put a substance on the ball, like you just said, to make it sink, sail, cut one way or the other, yep. I've got to make adjustments in that four-tenths of a second. And that that's going to take me from being a 300 hitter to being a, a two. 60, 250, 240 hitter because it's just that tough a thing to do. So, you know, when it, we're getting to a point now, again, I think it, it, this is going to go by the wayside. Yeah. Right? It's an overcorrection to get back to yeah. some semblance of normalcy. I get more a kick out of the baseball side. Did you realize how many new um, air control towers are outside of stadiums now uh-uh. because of the, you know, the balls flying out of the stadium and if they're in a flight path of LaGuardia or LAX. Wow, I didn't know that. No, you didn't know that. I missed that. Um, These baseballs are unbelievable. Yeah. So do you think, like, obviously you played in a different era, but you know that throughout baseball it's always been a thing in some capacity. Would you prefer to completely eliminate and just make a solid rule, nothing at all, no no rosin or just rosin and make it firm like they've tried to do or or provide something? Just rosin for... How many decades? But it's, it's been on. But they've never taken guys yes. out and said because we you, we were just all talking about it. spitballs, everything else. There, it's it the unwritten there. rule side. Like, yeah, we're just not going to talk about it. It'll be okay. They try to get Vaseline out of the game back. You know, late '80s, early '90s. Guys had different things. Like, but there's never been a hard. Hey, you're going to get in trouble. Versus a, a for the hitters because I I think pitchers got an advantage from steroids. But I think hitters got the distinct advantage from it because you were putting a ball in play harder, so you were finding holes that you wouldn't have. Guys would have picked that ball, scooped it, and gone. So the hitters, I think, had the outsized advantage at that time. This is a situation where I feel like pitchers have created a wild disparity in the game, and that's also one of the reasons why I think the strikeouts, stuff like that, that you just said, you got 0.4 seconds to make a decision, and you've spent your entire life training to predict and modeling your brain what's going to happen. But you can't model that a guy has something on his fingers that's going to make it dance unbelievable to what is humanly possible. Uh, Which gets us down to the, the, to the real element we're talking yep, about yeah. here. And that is uh, the ability to, to, to have rules and to apply them. And when somebody's caught, um, to give them a a sentence, so to speak, yes, mm-hmm. that is worthy of discouraging somebody from cheating. Do you right. think the yeah. current model is enough games? Ten days for a pitcher? It's one start. You miss one start, yeah. It's one Look, start. Quick vacation. And you, you can massage the one yep. over two days, right? Yep. It's you, always been a joke. A guy gets fined, he does something, he gets, gets fined uh, five days, ten days, a pitcher. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like putting him in the I.L. By the way, the I.L. is an interesting evolution, I think. Yeah? The I.L. is mere, really, I think, a chance to give a guy a rest. Do you think that guys should be able to rotate themselves into rest more, more instead of just trying to say that they're injured? 
do you think that there should be an ability for that guy to to just kind of let a minor league guy come up? I, and that's again, you were talking about it becomes the business of it, where we we have service times and we have all these different things that play into it. But then you have a situation where, you know, because every analytic is 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 looked at and everybody's looking at so much it's hard for you to be your best self as many days in a row now because you have a pitcher who they know has the right stuff to get you out at the right time so like you're you're having to put out a hundred percent so much more often do you think they should give guys just the ability like hey taxi squad up down these five guys are part of the team but they're not on the main roster allow them to go back and forth between triple a and they're on the roster, but they're down. Is that something that you could see the, the, the getting in the future? Well, the we talked about the economics of the game. Yeah. It's so great now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, guys probably don't realize what they're making now. Yeah. So if a pitcher's making 15, 20, 25, you know, 30, he's not getting pitched. He's not getting paid for complete games. Yeah. Yep. He's yep. getting paid for quality starts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. They're trying to protect him as long as they can. Yep. There is a significant portion of pitchers who've had Tommy John surgeries. Yes. Right. Tommy John surgery always doesn't enhance the pitcher like, like it used to. Yeah. Yeah. Because guys just weren't working out as much. Right. But for kids, you know, when they say, "Oh, he had Tommy John. Oh, he's going to be back better. They're going to take that ligament. It's going to be tighter. He's going to pitch." But that that young boy does not have a whole team of therapists and doctors working him on a daily basis. Yeah. Right. And a year and a half of developmental loss at that age has a cascading effect across mm-hmm. their career that takes away from a lot more than people think. Could yep. be infinity then yep. for a career. And so, 95, when a guy got Tommy John, it might make him better because he got a year of rest and he got physical therapists and trainers making every muscle on him balanced and better. And yeah, guys weren't doing the same routines they do now. Now these guys are paying guys a million dollars a year to take care of their bodies. They're not going to come back better from this. You know, it, it's a you're going to be worse, and yeah. how much worse is how good the team is. I got paid twenty four thousand and seventy one to take care of my body, and uh, come on, there you go, <laughs> great, but great you money. Know, and we were talking about the IL, and I, I think the IL has has some uh, obviously medical benefits to it. Yeah, some of it's kind of sneak them in, give them yes. rest. Mm-hmm. What you're talking about could be the evolution uh, of of the next basic agreement. Yep. Right. We were talking about a flowing roster. Remember, remember when waivers were a big thing, and mm-hmm. you only had so many ups and downs, right? Yep. And that's all basically gone by the wayside. You know, yeah, guy can come up six, eight, ten times, and he's mm-hmm. not out of waivers. Right? And you have older guys who, and it becomes again that that economics, and and the analytics matter so much because he's a replacement level player, but he's had eight years of MLB experience, but. We have a guy in the minors who's going to be cheaper, and he's going to be this. Well, let that guy stay on the roster. Just let him go up and down. And, and he's not going to be there full-time. He knows he's not that guy anymore. But he offers you quality of bets, and he offers you that professionalism. And I feel like th- that's needed in the game because you end up having these circumstances where teams just – they won't – you have pitchers. You have, you have position players pitching games – because we don't want to burn out arms. Who else had a couple of home runs? Were they against legitimate pitchers? Or that the other the, we were earlier in the CD. Uh, uh, you mean Mercedes? I think that's what you're talking and about. And a guy came. Uh, and oh, no, 
Pujols last night. I'm sorry. Oh, yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yes. Yeah, sure. this, but, yeah, he had a couple of home runs, and they were late. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering, at some point at 18-1 to 1 or 19-1, to 1, they had to be bringing somebody in. And, and that's the thing. Like, at that point in time, like, if we're so worried about we can't throw these guys because we have limited resources, the game's affected, and this is no longer what the competition's supposed to be. Uh, allow a little bit more exchange – and I also think that that gives the opportunity for a guy who guys didn't really know if you're going to be good or not, that opportunity to come up and maybe show it. Again, we're, we're from New York and we're Mets fans. So like th- this kid McGill, who they just brought up, is in his mid-20s. Hadn't really, he was started the year in double-A. They bring him up. He was inconsistent in the zone. I think he had nine strikeouts or uh, seven strikeouts in three and a third. And he had to get pulled because he was two up. But the kid's got good arm, like, and he's getting guys out. Yeah. He never would have gotten a shot if there wasn't injuries to their team. The Dodgers do an excellent job of, of uh, rotating among their major league team in the minor leagues. Yeah. And, and they've had injuries, but they, they will rotate them. Uh, they have faith that the guys that they, they've assigned and gotten to the AAA a level, AA, uh, should be able to come up and compete. Yeah, yeah. And they give them a chance. I mean, Lux did that at one time. Yeah. Uh, there have been certain guys that have been able to come up for Smith, the catcher. All of a sudden, they've spent two months up, and now they get to the postseason. They 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 got some real their experience. Feet solidly yeah. on the ground. Yeah. All thirty franchises are different. Mm-hmm. Got to remember that. Yeah. You guys, you guys more than I may be the only guy that gets the New York Post in. Uh, in the Palm Springs area, right? I love hey, the Palm There's probably a few guys who get in the yeah. Palm Springs area. Yeah. That, 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 that area has got a, a few New Yorkers who have made yeah, their Yeah, we've got down. a few. Mostly referees and umpires that come out there. But, yeah. uh, you know, to listen, uh, to read every day, and I, and I get the biggest kick out of Mushnick because I think I, he's become more of an ethicist in terms of we talked about the sportsmanship of the game and these things. And, you know, he's, he's a unique personality. But you guys got the Vaqueros and... I mean, it's the best baseball writing, you know, yep. even though you, they're focusing on their local teams, but it carries on throughout all of baseball. Right. And, uh, and I get the biggest kick out of it. So, uh, but, you know, they're, they, they got that inside information you can only get when you're in New York. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, we're, we're lucky where we're from, and, and that provides mm-hmm. a lot of opportunity and good insight. I think sometimes uh, everybody takes for granted the, the amazingness that's available and out there. And uh, that includes us getting to talk to you today. Yeah. Because there was a lot of great insight. I like where we got to at the end, mm-hmm. get, getting into some things about the rules of the game and the future of the game. And uh, I'm excited to see where it goes. And uh, we're super excited that you were a part of it and you came and spoke with us about it today. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. It was great sharing with you. Yeah, you, know, you don't get a chance to really have a long discussion about baseball. And, uh, yeah. and you know, I've been so blessed from the age of seven till 72 right now. And... Uh, and my life's predicated on giving back, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, but really trying to, to foster and preserve the game uh, and the integrity of the game. Yeah. It's, it is different times. There mm-hmm. are going to be changes. But just let's make them reasonably intelligent yep. changes, yes. right? Small steps, not, not giant leaps. for much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, you, well, you know our society politically now is, is, yeah. is, is so uh, diverse and, you know, it's polarized. I don't want to see baseball get that way, and I'm afraid we're coming up with a new basic agreement. And, uh, and you need reasonable minds to sit down and say, just like I said, what's the best interest of the game going forward? Yep. Right? 
if you do it for the for the game and for the fans and the people who love it, you'd make different choices. Yeah. Don't just do it because of the financial reasons. You know, yeah. there's right. going to be money there if it's great, right? So let's just make it great. Mm-hmm. You know, you may do too, and I know we're probably no. I love this, this. extra extra innings. This let's is extra innings. extra innings. There's no man on second. We're good. <laughs> we're good. <laughs> what we're gonna have to do is because in basketball it's one and done. Yeah. Right? Yep. In football three years and you're, you're done and you're able to get big money yep and those guys also go that's a more direct feeder system into what right. it is absolutely so baseball you yep, get signed yeah right it's gonna take you four or five years to get out maybe a pitch or two now you've got six years you've got arbitration which by the way in my mind changed the game more than free yep. agency i agree a thousand right? percent uh so you're going to have to be able, we're all battling for the youth of America to play our sport. Right? And in, in some sports, socioeconomics are, are just different. Basketball and football are just different. Mm-hmm. But we're all battling for all these, these young athletes. But you're going to have to give everybody an equal opportunity to make money earlier in their life than late. Because football and basketball are going to get the younger athletes. It's a, it's a quicker way to Financial security, yes. Absolutely, yep. right. Yep. And it doesn't take a lot, by the way, mm-hmm. for financial security. Yeah. But they just, we need to make modification to maybe you do away with the draft. And you, oh, so and now, now we're, going, we're going real extra in yeah, right to free agency. I believe. From your, the original we, outlander here. We, we've said on the <laughs> yeah, show, we have. Uh, my, I think that a player should have a five-year contract. That's it. You draft them at 18, you draft them at 21. You have a five-year contract, and you pay them money to be a player. And you have them for five years. And now, when you look at the NBA, what they do is, when that guy gets to the end of five years, the home team has more money they can offer and more opportunities so the player won't leave and go sign anywhere else. What baseball, from an MLB standpoint, from their side, what it looks like is manipulating service time, doing things like that, and then guys get to the point where historically, hey, we're just going to pay you because that's what we've always done. Now they're like, hey, we, we can just replace the guy. Mm-hmm. And it ends up making it that the game is worse because you can't consistently put out a good product when you're manipulating everything about what's going on. So let's just do five years. And then at the end of five years, the, the, the team that drafted the player, if they're worried about the effort, the time, the development, hey, you guys can spend more money than everybody else. But an 18-year-old kid shouldn't have to ha- be X amount of years of service time at the MLB level before they can do anything, right. where you might have a guy for eight, nine years of his life before he finally gets to it. And you see too many of them. They're 30 years old. They're getting to the first time they get a contract. That is wrong. Yep. And it's wrong on so many levels. Now, NIL is giving them all the opportunity to make money off their names in college make money off their names in high school so you can promote and you can start to drive stuff and that will change the revenue structure because what happens when recently drafted by the Mets Kamar Rocker type player can start making money off his name his freshman year of college and he's got a car deal and he gets a free car and that's okay well he's making more money he's going to they're going to start negotiating differently cuz they're like guys we don't we can make money cuz we already have a brand we already have the stuff but yeah, I. I but you got to remember saturation. It all sounds good now, but there's there's only going to be a, a a select number in each sport yes. yep, because of, of you know 
businesses aren't going to be willing to pay, you know, everybody. They may they may capture a sport, maybe gymnastics or yeah. something like mm-hmm. that. But there there's only so much money out there, and yeah. uh, and it's it's finally it's right. I I said this a long time ago, uh, with all these big huge TV contracts, I think every one of these basketball football players should be under SAG and after. Um, that way it's controlled. They get so much per, you know, per episode, per yeah. game, right? Yeah. It, it's pretty uniform across. Yeah. That covers everybody. I remember I used to get Michigan State, I get four tickets for each game, right? And, and end up giving them, some guys would sell them, some guys, you, you had to do it face value. Yeah. Most of the time it was for family, right? Yeah. And then we got a 25 cent uh, coupon for Michigan State Theaters, where we go see a movie for 25 cents, right? Well, at that time, it was, you know, 60s. And uh, the SDS, Students for Democratic Society, found out about it. And they marched on Jenison Fieldhouse at Michigan State and uh, to take away something that the other students didn't get that, that we got. And essentially, it was you know, the Michigan State Theaters advertised with the team. Yeah. It wasn't an understanding of advertising yeah. and those things. but. Uh, it was pretty funny, and boy, were those linemen from Gary, Indiana, and Peoria, Illinois, pretty mad at the SDS kids. Oh, I believe <laughs> it. I believe it. Yeah, yeah. I, and and, and there just there needs to be a, a more direct line to let the best players play. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's been great to watch some organizations with like Tatis, mm-hmm. and we've talked about sending them up. And and you're talking about like the getting the youth of America to like want to come to your sport. Well. Of all the major ones, baseball has the most hurdles to actually get to the show and really, you know, get to that point of oh, I have like you're talking about financial security. I'm I'm a star. I'm you know making my dreams come true in in the sports world. Um, and you know we talk about NBA, NFL. It's so much easier to get there to get your personal brand out there to make an impact immediately. And it's you, you I'm sure there's been so many great players that had to give up because they were in the system for so long and had to make a life decision. Real life, they you get know? married, they have, have exactly. a child, yep. something happens in the family. Yep. You know, like you said, it's a, it's a good word, hurdle. They gotta lower the hurdles, bring them closer together, and get to the to the point where these athletes can control their destiny. Yes, because mm-hmm. yeah. maybe you need to, after that five years, the team goes, hey, we don't wanna resign you. But now that opens up your ability to go sign with another team's minor league and find the right situation for yourself you know so you got drafted at 18 and you got drafted by a team that's poor developing players and you did haven't gotten this opportunity now you're 23 but there's still guys getting drafted who are 23 but you've got five years of professional experience you're telling me that there's not a team but guys can't scout everybody you can't find everybody so guys get lost in the shuffle because of time and they're hidden and stashed away because of this time and these hurdles and all these layers of complexity that if we make it, if it was just simple, guys could have control their lives a little bit more, and I think we'd end up getting better baseball because, like he said, yeah, guy, and, and like you were agreeing, guys' family gets hurt, somebody has to, he has to go get a job that pays him seventy thousand dollars a year yeah. because you know somebody's in the hospital, somebody has gave up the game, and he might be the best player anybody ever saw, and he, you just no, can't do it. I can't go there. You know, Tony, Tony Clark was saying, you know, and, and I've always thought that three and a half, four years is about the average for a major league player if he comes up one day. Yep. Um, and that four years, you've had all your youth growing up. Yep. To maybe get those four years. Yep. And now, 
you know, what used to be 38 is now 32. Because sabermetrics are not not just crunching what's happening on the field. Mm -hmm. They're crunching how long contracts or yeah. length. Uh, they're analyzing the, the, the body type. How, how many times on the DL? Uh, they're not going to... They couldn't analyze me very much because I was playing every day. And mm -hmm. the eh, you know, football player, he's dumb enough to get out there every day. But now they don't let you play more than 10 days or two weeks. Yep, yep. Right? Because they're preserving the investment, which the investment now is greater than ever when you're talking about millions of dollars on these players. They're trying to, they're trying to get them out there from that 25 to 32 length. What's Clayton Kershaw now? Clayton's about 31, two, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, still pitching pretty well, but he's starting mm -hmm. to have things he didn't have, elbow, yeah. shoulder, these things. Been a lot around of a while. Right. Yeah. But that's so. the thing is that they got the cheap version of him for years, right? So you're paying the expensive version when he's not as good. And that even, we all know that if, if you look at it from a business sense, that's going to look like it doesn't make sense. But then there's always going to be one side that's like, hey, this is cool. Five years guy gets to be on the open market you can't just dominate a guy's life forever because mm -hmm. you can manipulate everything about it because then again you, you have Jacob DeGrom we were just talking about before he didn't make his debut till he was 26 so here's a 26 year old guy most guys who can make their debut at 26 are journeyman guys oh you'll play mm -hmm. a little. but he he had so many other circumstances I was a different position I tore my UCL I had to recover I then had years there were other guys in the system who were high draft picks, who were getting pushed ahead, Matt Harvey, all the stuff. Yep. Like There was things that created circumstance that kept him suppressed. But then once he got here, he had everything. Nobody knew that. Like Everybody was shocked how good he was. Well, so then something's broken in the system mm -hmm. that no analytical thing told you that Jacob deGrom was going to be this good. You couldn't have... So we know... Nobody thought Koufax was going to be Never that good. Yep. No one. And, until his catcher... I said, why don't you hold it this way a little bit, you know, that, that curveball or yeah. fastball. Mm -hmm. That was it. And he signed out of Cincinnati University, so he had to be 20, 21 by then. And then he had to sit around for three or four years getting spot starts, and all of a sudden it came together, and he had that run for six, seven years, right? And nobody's given that time anymore because, like we just talked about, finances, yep. right? Rational. But then if the minor leagues and the, all the service time is manipulating it, you might just be in a bad circumstance for yourself and you have no control over getting free because your entire ability to get free is based off of service time in the future that might not ever happen. And there, there's probably so many guys that we don't hear about or we see a few guys who make their debuts very late in their lives. Uh, uh, Voight on the Yankees, the first mm -hmm. baseman. He only lasts a few years. Well, he's 31 already. Like, and he's only been up in the show for like three years. That guy is... Have a good year, go to arbitration, you'll catch up a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. like you were saying, the analytics will push Better him down. Better late than never. Yeah. But the right. analytics will push him down. Because yeah. they'll say, hey, you know, by the time he gets to the point that he's passed arbitration, he'd be in his mid-30s. Nobody's going to sign him to the... That Why wasn't he up sooner? What was the certain... Five years, and I think guys should be able to go and chop themselves around and talk to teams and say, hey, heard how, it here how first, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I hope I hope one day when they bring me in to, you know, talk to about consult on it, yeah. to consult, they're like, hey, that makes sense. So, do you, do you I'll think, negotiate oh, your contract. That, hey, listen, we can go together right outside right now. We can make this work. With your sign off, I can do anything in the room. Yeah. Yeah. 
good benefits to it. There you go. You know? Amazing. I got I got to play for August three years, and St. Bart's, and you know it'd be fine. Oh, yeah. somebody said, you know, would you? And this was a while ago. Could you come back and play? And I, and I said I could still hit the ball. Now I was probably 50. 50. I could still go to right. I said, but I want a contract for home games, pinch hit, eighth, ninth inning. <laughs> no. That's it. No That's road it. games. And probably $5 million. That'd be fine. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's a special. That's good work number. if you can find it. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go out and be like, I only want to be oh, the guy on second base in extra innings. That's all I want to do. $5 million. $5 million. I'll score more than everybody else. I'll take risks. I'll do whatever you want. Yeah. But that's all I want to Can do. Can I tell you so one more thing? And I found that you know, people come up with stats. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we talked about bunning. Yeah. Yeah. 10, 12 hits a year and that and everything. Guy sent me a stat that with all time, players with over 75 bunts, I had the leading batting average of all time at about 840. On, on, on attempts for bunting, you're saying? Yeah. Bunting 75 times or more. That I had the highest batting average in history at 840. Wow, that's crazy! Now, it's a little known fact. I take great pride in it. That's because, excellent. Absolutely. That stat bunted, being broken on this right now makes me so happy. <laughs> that, why is that not out there more? Hey what? guys, just bunt at least 75 times. You have you an have 840 this batting average on 75 but, attempts. Yeah, yeah. So, but you know, and again, you talk about using your. I used them in strategic situations yes. right. too. But that created the element that you were saying. It. I, uh, twice I bunted with guy on uh, third base, two outs, and we were score was tied. Because nobody expects inning. it. Yep. Bunted in, we we now we got three outs. We get three outs, win the game. But you yeah. had to have, for lack of a better word, the cojones and the skill to see two outs, guy on third, lay a bunt down, right? Like that's you being great. Yep. Like I, not every guy in the league is gonna. Well, people. Did you ever think of what if he failed? I said, so what? Oh I, man, uh, see that's my point. Yeah. Like, that's brass. Guy's gonna play. Guy's gonna play, and I'm, I'm doing it the first pitch too. Yeah. Do it later in the count. Complicates. So then yeah, you have a chance. And you have a chance. You and gotta get him early. You that third baseman's gonna play in. So now I've got this, you know, long before, you know, shifts. Mm-hmm. And that's the big thing they 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 ask of, you know, us veteran legends now veteran. Did they have a shift when you were playing? Absolutely not. Because if you didn't take two shots, you know, if, uh, say, for instance, I say Reggie Smith, who was an excellent player and hitter, if they had shifted on him and he didn't take two shots through the left side, even if he bunted or just slapped it, Lasorda would be all over you, yeah. you know. It boggles my mind that more people don't do it. Lindor, Lindor was really struggling to start the year. Yeah. And they shifted on him, and they had been shifting heavy on him. And he finally just was like, think, and dropped the bunt down the third baseline. And he's fast, and he got on. Since that moment, since that bunt, pretty much, he, he's been like a, a 295 batting average, and he's been a completely different hitter. Yeah. And it, 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 again, like you say, it just changes how everybody perceives what you can do. But you have to keep that in your head, and that's the chess of baseball that like now that it's gotten to just home runs and strikeouts – that people don't understand. So if you like chess, you should like baseball because it's all about how do I read what the other people mm-hmm. are doing and read the situation that like you were saying before. Guy shifting this way, I know it's inside, right? Cool. How am I going to play that? 
and, and being able to think that fast on the fly so like it makes this game great. It, it's it's the, the yeah. when you find somebody who does it, it's so cool to watch them just come to the plate because mm-hmm. they look unstoppable. Okay. And, and Barry Bonds and for the, a minute and of the time, pitcher, unstoppable. Pitcher knows. Yes. If yeah. I got up in crucial situations, I got up there ready to hit. That pitcher's looking at me, going, "Boy, Garv looks like he's he's locked in." Yeah. I better be careful. Okay, what happens when you get careful? Eh, big slider away. Yep. Now you get you know two and zero. Oh. Now you got to come in. Yep. Right. Now I got you. Yeah. Right. But it's that that perception too. Mm-hmm. That mind of it. I'm not gonna step out. Get my gloves. And by the way, I haven't swung before. Get in the box and and hit. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way. Players nowadays don't move around in the batter's box. Yes. They They're get into always one consistently, spot, yeah. they stay there, and if you if you know that I was a... This guy's throwing junk, move up. Yeah, I, I was a guesstimator. Yeah. I'd watch him. I'd watch sequences, pitchers, and catchers. Yeah. So I, if I knew that it was going to be a, a breaking ball, I always guessed away. Mm-hmm. I would get in the box, and I would move up ever so slightly yeah get parallel with the plate take the pitch more up front if you're back and these kids are open by the time they come here they're still missing yeah. a third of the plate they can't touch yeah yep. right so two things take what they give you right yep. mm-hmm. it's too tough yeah right and that's on the field off the field manage the things that you can control the rest don't worry about it manage the things you can control and if you if you think about that and you do that you you instead of agonizing over 100 percent of your life and, and thinking about every little thing you're going to say okay yeah i'm concerned about it but this is my easier path yeah very well said this is the easier path i'll, I'll put this in a spot but this i can manage mm-hmm. and that's why i get so bad when guys don't run the first base side you can control that. Yeah. Run hard. Yeah. There's always the ball the hit guy bobbles it and he still gets the guy by by two two, three steps. What if he would have ran hard, he would have got on first base. Yeah. He would have made it. Yep. Now it puts the pitcher in a stretch or maybe prolongs the inning, guy hits a home run just by running hard. And it yep. breaks a slump. It does so many other things mm-hmm. that Absolutely. you know, like you don't know the moment that's gonna change your mentality. Yeah. So control what you can control. That's what ignites a uh, dugout more than a guy that guy on third, less than two out, he hits the ball to the right side, and gets him, gets him in. What's the, what's the dugout? Everybody's up. Yeah. yeah. You've sacrificed yourself. You come in. Everybody's patting the guy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. I mean, if you just tuned in, you'd think, yeah, that guy hit a home run. But yeah. He's, yeah. He's coming in from the. You know, he got out. The right little, field, when the little uh, things oh. pay off. That's what yeah. everyone's right. most excited. Right. That's, yeah. That's what. That's what really really good championship teams do yes and and that again we bring up the Mets too much on this podcast yeah <laughs> but when they were practicing during spring training and they were doing the 26 outs and they celebrated like they won the world series and it was like hey we're, we're, we, we made no errors nobody made a mistake everybody went to where they needed to but we're just going to have fun with it but we're going to practice excellent and we're celebrating excellence and it's like people want to clown them for the action and it's like the underlying tone is we're taking practice so seriously that we were excited by the fact that we did practice perfect. And like 
how do you look at that and not say that that's what you want the game to be? Like, mm-hmm. these guys are excited by practice. Yeah. Get out of I, – I can't hear anybody else. That's the stuff that makes great teams. And when you Builds get – the culture. You get to the playoffs, all these teams that have good cultural fits, guys who are good leaders yeah. and do the little things right, they're going to win. And the guy, the teams who are like, oh, you got the bad body language, the bad this, mm-hmm. the bad that – those teams are going to fall apart, and everybody's going to be like, "Oh, what did the analytics say?" All right, I've never, never told this before, but oh my gosh. so I'm hold that, that mic a little closer. Yeah, I just want to make sure it's here. Turn it up a little bit. Yes, I'll tell you this one right now. <laughs> there's, a, there's a word for that. I mean, there's a phrase for that where you, we in commercials done it where you whisper to draw people in. Mm-hmm. President Biden's been doing that lately, but anyway. So I'm from. Family from New York, you yep. know, born in Tampa. Mom's Yankee fan, dad's uh, a Dodger fan. My grandfather was a Brooklyn policeman. So I'm an only child. So I'm, I'm growing up once I start Little League. We have 13 orange and grapefruit trees. So when they're small, I take them, put them in a bucket, get a broomstick, and I take my baseball cards, and I'm the Yankees against the Dodgers. Every game was a World Series, right? And if I hit it a certain distance, single, double, triple, across sure. the street, home run, right? Of course. And I think, I think that it really was one of the reasons I was such a good contact hitter. Hitting a little grapefruit that was half the size of maybe a golf ball with a broomstick, there wasn't too much margin for error, mm-hmm. right? And invariably, every day, it would get down to the sixth or seventh game in the World Series between the Dodgers and the Yankees. And most of the time, Hodges would come through with her Snyder or, or Robinson with there you go. to win the game. <laughs> yeah. But what I was doing subliminally, and this is what we're talking about, as a kid, I was putting myself in in classic game-winning situations. That later on, when we played the Yankees three times, I mean, for me, it I'd was been back yeah, to you the, won it ten times already. <laughs> I played against the Yankees before on the Dodgers, right? Yeah. And once in a while, when I my mother kept asking me, I said, "Who won today? The Dodgers?" I thought to myself, "I'm going to make the Yankees win today because mm. she was the Yankee fan." <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. So that's that's what I would do. But and Dusty Baker and I talked about that one time about as kids putting ourselves in playing games where where the game was on the line and we were up and we came through. Yeah. Right. And by the way, there are certain times where I missed the ball, could have yeah. struck out then the sure. game, and I'd go, oh, tipped it. Oh, foul ball. Oh, foul you ball. Guys I saw that. You saw it. Yeah. yeah. I was the commissioner. I was the umpire. I was yeah. That's it. But, oh. uh, but that's but see that's when you had time um, to do that on your own. That's when you had sand lots, and that's when you played on Drew Park Little League, and you were the Seahorses or Trumbull yeah. Aluminum. And nowadays, and I have a group of uh, youth teams in, in the beach cities in LA. Um, kids nowadays, everybody's wearing a majestic uniform. They got my teams are the Dodgers. They got official yeah. Dodger uniforms. They practice two times a week. They play in these big tournaments mm-hmm. that are $500 on the weekend. Nobody actually goes out and, and does that pickup game anymore, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. And that's where you made mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. Is when you were doing it by yourself and it was play. Like you said, you foul-tipped, you made mistakes, you tried things, you did little weird things. And that created your style and your ability to do it. Now kids are put into their mini professional level. Well, what happens when you go in a slump as a professional? Right, you lose out on contracts, monies. Mom and dad are bringing the kid to go get more hitting lessons, do more stuff. There's so much pressure to be perfect. Yeah. 
and not allowing them to explore themselves and their own personalities and their own stuff, you don't get greatness. You get uh, homogenous. You like everything is the same. Yeah. And the, you have guys staying in the same spot in the batter's box, doing all the same the things. The cookie cutter swings. Everybody looks the right, same. Right. And it's because we've been trying to manufacture these guys for the last 20 years that everybody should be the same, play on the weekends, play this high-stress environment, and then you have the outliers, right? Guys who, hey, my parents didn't do that, and I didn't, do, and they play great, and they have all these amazing things, and they do, and they did it completely different. Mm-hmm. There's no one way, and no matter who's trying to take your money to say you have to play baseball one way, they're lying to you. It's why baseball is so much fun. How you were born. You can be great, but you have to play it that way. Dustin Pedroia couldn't play like Albert Pujols, right? He had to play Dustin Pedroia's game. And Pujols would have done himself a disservice to play like Pedroia. You play to your strengths. You do the things that you do well. You maximize yourself, and you do what you can to mitigate the other things. But you have to find out deeply, look at who you are to find what that is. But if you're afraid to fail, you'll never know what that is. Because you're missing out on that, that time. Oh, absolutely. It's yeah, you're so right. Once you find out who you are, you, you can you, make your, yourself. Your core of who you are, what makes, you know, makes up, you know. There's an old saying, uh, do you live your life for your uh, eulogy or your resume? Right? Yeah. Eulogy all day. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Once you, yeah. Once you, you get that and you realize that, yep. life becomes easier. Yep. Mm-hmm. And by I the way, that. it's 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 not what you are; it's who you are. Yeah, absolutely. And those two things go together. Agree a thousand percent. Right. You can be the best street sweeper in the world, and you can bring pride and effort and everything else to it. That's who you are. But you can do things great, and that the thing you're doing isn't who you are. You're who you are. You know, circumstances. And also, can, who I am as chairman of Fans for the Cure. Yes. Talk about it. Ed tell Randall's tell Prostate Cancer Foundation. Mm-hmm. Ed's, of course, a known personality in New York sports. He's, he's a legend there. Yeah. Uh, six years ago, I came down with prostate cancer. Um, I'm on the board of UCLA of neurosurgery and and uh, my wife. And usually the women drive us to these appointments because, you know, we're solving the problems of the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for men, the single greatest killer of men uh, is prostate cancer. Yep. So uh, saw the head of urology at UCLA, Mark Lipman, who's a phenomenal man. Candace asked the first nine questions, and he, uh, he, he told her about what prostate cancer is. Uh, there's three steps that you have to go through, a biopsy and Gleason score and, and uh, the different ways it's treated. And then I looked at him and I said, what would you do? It's probably the question most people want to ask their doctor. Yeah. Because if you believe in them. Yeah. yeah. And he said, uh, let's take it out. Let's do a radical prostatectomy. So through the grace of God, two weeks later, that taken out. Um, he checked around, took three hours instead of an hour and a half, two hours, checking for uh, whether it spread, it didn't. And um, I was clear, and cleared to this day. And then I decided to be a disciple to fight prostate cancer. Uh, so I called one foundation that's in existence and uh, didn't really get a call back. And then I called Ed and I said, uh, at my operation, I'm clear. I want to be a disciple for you. He said, you're on the board. <laughs> I said, well, don't you, you want me to visit first? And uh, you're on the board, which is he, how he is. because he knows right? who yeah. you are. Yeah. He knows who you are. He yeah. knows and, the stories uh, you tell. 
two board meetings later, I became chairman from that point on. And, and Michael Milken has the Prostate Cancer Foundation, and uh, it's funded with millions, and he does a phenomenal job and, and its research. Fans for the Cure is a grassroots foundation. We're on an average year, last year was different with COVID, in 120 to 30 stadiums in the country, minor league parks, major league parks. Usually have an annual uh, screening at Yankee Stadium, have hundreds of men. Mm -hmm. uh, so for, for everyone listening, go to fansforthecure.com, uh, see what we're doing. We have extensive uh, work around the country. We have uh, breakout sessions, regular podcasts. Uh, we save lives every year. We go to spring training, meet with all 30 teams. Um, and the wives are maybe more important than the guys to get them to take their PSA tests, to get a score. I want you guys to do the same if you haven't. For sure. So that you're on the board so that every year when you take your physical and you do blood screening or every six months, if you see a, a, a strong movement, then it's time to do something about it. And that's mm -hmm. how we save lives. So uh, I had to mix that in. Absolutely. No, we love that. And again, Maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll see you at Yankee Stadium in the not too distant future. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, we'll I'll meet you there when we're having a screening. And yeah, we'll make sure we, we amplify to. that and, and yeah, help get that right. out. If you do the blood test, I give you an autograph picture. If you do the other test, the you uh, and I give you an autograph ball. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> and I did that at, at say uh, at no Petco. more. I did that at Petco, and the guys were, hey, Gar, will you sign a ball for me? I said, yeah. If you you go into the beautiful van yeah. from Scripps Hospital there and I said take the the second test okay and they flipped the page too ah, that wasn't so bad <laughs> <laughs> I said okay <laughs> so a uh, couple hundred uh, Rawlings uh, balls when the seams were higher by the way mm. back uh, that was like seven eight years ago or six no about five years ago okay um, okay. you gotta have incentive for men right um, so, yeah. listen I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward if life to, itself is an incentive then we'll do anything we possibly can I'm looking yeah. forward to the to the limited behind the scenes access we'll have <laughs> right. to that and uh, my my me and Dennis's future testing Appreciate you. Thank you so much Thank for coming you. on today. Thank you. Amazing, amazing talk. Yeah. Extra yeah. innings. I'm so happy that we didn't stop when we did. Yes. We got you. gold in the back. So, guys, we appreciate you guys all listening to us today. This was an amazing one. Uh, go check out everything that we talked about today. We'll be talking about more. We'll link to things below in the comments. Leave us a comment. Let us know anything you guys need to know. And uh, we really appreciate you guys coming out. And Thanks, guys. Go. God bless. Baseball lifestyle. It's my lifestyle.